0: Actually, it's another hour of great talk. Um, I should have changed that sweeper. We are listening to The Overboard Show, coming live to you today from Palma de Mallorca. A beautiful sunny day. And uh, made even nicer by the fact that we have Peter Franklin from Mets Sustainability on with us today's show. Good morning, Peter. How are you?
1: Morning, Dave. I'm pretty good, thanks. Unfortunately, I don't have the beautiful, brilliant sunshine that you've got. I've got the usual grey, cloudy, slightly rainy Netherlands sky, but that's okay. There's some sun coming for the weekend, so uh, let's be positive.
0: There's something to look forward to. Uh, Absolutely. We can see you you guys are getting not the nicest weather up there.
1: No, it's been a really horrible spring and early summer compared to last year, um, which was really great. I mean, I'd keep a little diary of what we do on our boat and by this time last year we'd had six really nice long weekends away on the boat and so far this year we've had one so <laughs> that tells you all about the weather
0: well nobody's liking it's climate change looking
1: better next week so uh, let's, be, let's be positive
0: that's a good man best foot forward
1: uh, we're a 10 kilometer march tomorrow for refugees so we're, we're taking the boat to Rotterdam to the centre of Rotterdam which is about a five hour cruise from where we live and, uh, and we're going to join a 10-kilometre march for um, to raise money for refugees around the world. So that, oh, we, cool. we're looking forward to that, and hopefully we'll have some nice weather for it.
0: Let's set off early in the morning, get there, what, lunchtime?
1: Yeah, around lunchtime, and uh, uh, chill out in the afternoon, and then join the march in, in the evening. So looking forward to that. Excellent.
0: And uh, well, are you going to spend the weekend there?
1: Yeah, we're going to spend, the, which is something we very rarely do. I mean, the centre of Rotterdam is not normally the place you... Choose to go for a weekend, but oh. Rotterdam's a great city these days, and the marina facilities are really good there. And um, and of course, there's loads and loads of cafes and bars and stuff. So uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll make the best of it. That's for sure.
0: You're such a trooper. you're such a trooper.
1: Yeah, um, somebody somebody has to do it.
0: Oh, <laughs> thank God, you're there. Um, you've you've been uh, hard at work sorting out Met's uh, sustainability for the upcoming Met show.
1: Yeah, we have. Um, I mean, it all starts really straight after the last one in November, but then it kind of, you know, it morphs through Christmas and New Year, and then we sit down and decide what subjects we're going to cover. And then, of course, we start to to look at who we can invite to speak and what who, what kind of people we're going to have on those sustainability panels. And that's been going on for a few months, and we're, we're pretty well there now. We've, we've, uh, we've got it all laid out. And I think uh,
0: people miss the amount of work that goes on between shows. There's this feeling that oh, you know, it's, it's six weeks set up and the show just happens, but uh, reality is that once the show ends, you guys start planning for the next one,
1: uh, yeah, exactly. Well. I mean, we have our sort of first uh, discussion about what to do next year, um, on the final day of the show, and then several meetings after that as, as we progress. So, and that's only for the little bit that I organize, which is basically three hours of the show, one hour for each day. So you can imagine the amount of planning that goes into the rest of it for, um, yep. for the whole three days. Yep. It's uh, quite quite phenomenal.
0: That's quite a phenomenal show.
1: Yeah. So what it have you got, what have you got lined up? What progress um, have you made? On, uh, on day one, we're going to. And we, uh, bear in mind, we do this very much in cooperation with Icomia. Um, for those of you, who are our listeners. To, I don't know what ICOMIA is. It's the International Confederation of Marine Industry Associations. So, in other words, the uh, all the marine associations around the world in Spain, in Italy, in in Holland, in Germany, etc. Uh, they be, they belong to one umbrella organisation, which is ICOMIA, uh, and they have their own technical committees and working, working groups. And my dog, my dog wants to join in for some reason. I don't know why. Um, uh, and so we work with them on putting this together and agreeing on what the subjects are going to be. And their technical staff are actually the moderators uh, for those sessions. Okay. So we, we have some sort of technical credibility behind it.
0: Yeah. Um, and. Uh, oh, sorry.
1: sorry. So uh, on the first day, uh, we, it was suggested to us that we should cover um, the new IMO project called Glow Fouling. Relatively new, it was launched a couple of months ago. International Marine Organisation (IMO), um, who have uh, decided that they need to run a very detailed five-year project on uh, the challenge of global biofouling.
0: Glow fouling. Oh, it's short for global, is
1: it? It's short for global, It doesn't. It doesn't glow in the dark. Well, maybe it will one day, but hopefully not. um Yes. So, uh, short for global fouling. And um, it, it, what, what might be helpful, Dave, is I, I've got the executive summary of the project here, um, okay. and it's very long, so I won't read it all. But if I read the first couple of paragraphs, do you think that would be helpful? Yes. Yes. Go for it. Um, they start off by saying oceans cover seventy percent of our planet, and with nearly fifty percent of the world's population living in coastal areas. The protection of the marine environment is beyond the scope or capacity of any single nation. The transfer of invasive aquatic species, or IAS, through biofouling is a global environmental problem which requires intervention Mm. at multiple levels. Biofouling is described as the undesirable accumulation of microorganisms, plants, algae and animals on submerged structures. And of course we're talking about ships and boats and yachts yeah. and also offshore structures, that kind of thing. The introduction of IAS to new environments has been identified as a major threat to the world's oceans and to the conservation of biodiversity. Multitude of marine species may survive to establish a reproductive population in the host environment becoming invasive, outcompeting native species, and multiplying it into pest proportions. That's a yeah. scary prospect. Think- Marine bio-invasions are the source of the significant environmental and socio-economic impacts that can affect fisheries, mariculture, coastal infrastructure, and other development efforts, ultimately threatening livelihoods in coastal and inland communities. Uh, it goes on, but, I mean, that's the background to it. And um, they actually say that they see this now as probably as big if not bigger threat uh, than climate change I would so, never have thought about that well
0: it's, it, I mean, it's, it's obvious once you say it but I would never have thought about the, the invasive nature of, of barnacles stuck to the hull or whatever um, being transported from one place to another
1: no, no, and, I mean to be honest it's not been fully recognised until relatively recently there's been a lot of studies into it so uh, it's not unusual for people to say, well, I didn't know that, because yeah. it's not—it's relatively new information. I,
0: actually, yeah, I, I'm thinking back to a few weeks ago, we spoke with somebody in Australia um, regarding boats coming into Australian waters. And they did mention um, about the, um, them checking out the hulls of boats, because obviously it's a very uh, delicate environment in the, around the, the Great Barrier Reef. And invasive species getting in there, but I didn't realise it was such a, a huge problem.
1: No, and and against that. But it that, makes
0: sense once you say it.
1: It does when you think it through. But, and against that, there's the background of more and more pressure on. I mean, when we talk about antifouling. Of course, we we all think of this can of sticky, smelly, toxic stuff that we that we brush on the bottom of our yeah. boats, um, and we want to avoid that. The reason we wanted to use glow fouling, which is the project name, as the headline topic rather than antifouling, is we want to avoid just getting into this discussion about the toxic, sticky, smelly stuff, as important as it is. Yeah. Um, and because the background to this is there's more and more pressure on paint companies and coatings manufacturers to reduce the biocide content, um, and there there becomes a very difficult balance because if you reduce it to the degree where the antifouling becomes less effective. You do two things. One, you you slow the boat down. It has to work harder to make the same speed because of the fouling beneath the waterline. So therefore, you your carbon emissions go up. And secondly, you increase this threat of um, of uh, invasive species and the threat to biodiversity because the more clings to the hull. Ships and boats move around the world, and they move that stuff with them to wherever they're going. So. The whole background to this discussion is, is those two facts that we just have to face, um, less biocides and uh, threat to biodiversity by uh, non-invasive species.
0: And would and the, f- the fouling on the, on the hull, or the, the you know, below water line, would, would that be to su- such an extent that it creates enough drag that it, it does impact the fuel?
1: Oh, for Sure. Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't need very much before you start to uh, slow the boat down or have to use more engine power to overcome it. Wow. So th- these are very real threats. So uh, I'm not the expert on this uh, by any means. Um, so we've got some experts coming along to um, discuss it. We will have somebody from IMO. I'm not quite sure who yet, but somebody from IMO will be represented
0: is, is, is there a solution? I mean, I mean, is uh, what is the solution to that?
1: Well, actually, the whole five-year project, Dave, is about establishing what the solutions are, and there won't be a one-size-fits-all solution. There will be a number of solutions. I mean, what the the other thing we will be discussing at this session, uh, which I think is really important, is. A, what is happening with anti in the traditional sense, the ones that we all understand and know about, in terms of uh, the changes to biocide content and other formulation changes, but also we're going to introduce people from other innovative concepts that are non-toxic alternatives to those paints or coatings. Um, for instance, the ultrasonic system, which I think I spoke to you last time we were on air about, which I've been trialling on my own boat. Um, there's also some systems that make um, uh, make the surface impossible for the fouling to stick to, and there's several different types of those with silicone. There's another one with um, small hairs on it, like like uh, like a sea urchin, which is developed here in the Netherlands. So we're going to have representatives from those manufacturers and concepts as well as representatives from the coatings manufacturers
0: and I suppose there's a multitude of, of different life forms so as you say one solution doesn't isn't going to stop everything
1: no and of course the waters very much around the world uh, depending on the on the um, the pH and the temperature level and uh, there's there's no one fouling challenge there's a, there's a multitude of fouling challenges all over the world mm. so that's why IMO of Suggested a five-year project, and they're going to bring a lot of scientific data and uh, study into that, and and presumably come up at the end of it with some recommendations that we can all we can all live with. Uh, so uh, I think the timing for this was absolutely perfect for this year.
0: Wow, oh, that's one we keep our finger on. Um,
2: it, uh, but just out of interest, um, what has been the progression over? I mean, you've been following this for quite some time peter and just sort of in the history of of anti-fouling from the traditional methods that would be traditionally used where did you see a real transition in looking at better solutions or more sustainable solutions start to really evolve
1: well if you think if you go way way back to the very start of this whole thing you know 100 150 years ago or whatever before coatings were developed, they used to nail copper to the bottom of the boat, copper yeah. sheets. Yeah. Um, so that's really where this all started, and they started to incorporate copper into the antifoulings, and then they started to incorporate a thing called tributyl tin, which is a, a, a chemical additive which deters the growth. That... TBT TBT uh, was started to be banned about 20 years ago, and now there's started starting to phase out copper as well if it becomes free in, in the water. So that's really where this transition started. And now, of course, there's this concentration on decreasing biocides in general, which is based on EU regulations and some regulations in, in the States. So in other words, I, I think the toxicity of the established methods and environmental considerations to reduce them have actually prompted people to think about, okay, what else can I do? You know, what other solutions can we come up with? And that probably started, I would say about 20 years ago.
2: Wow. Well, good news in some ways, looking at the toxicity of it. Um, But then my next question is, uh, yeah, I mean, how, how quickly you, you mentioned um, Europe and the States is there any body that can look um, change things on a global level because there's still ships being built in you know Australia and Asia and is there any global governing body that can bring in or implement changes into this that or is it just kind of section by section Europe brings in laws and America brings in laws and um, I, my point being, it, it strikes me we're all connected by the water. A global um, effort is going to be what makes the biggest difference. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah but you need. And also, so, to I, know I mean, place. this particular project is going to focus on developing nations as well, because they, the, the the obvious thing with them to do is give them a good advice in the early stages before they develop the wrong things. Mm. Um, and I mean IMO are a global organisation. They, as the name implies, the International Maritime Organisation. They control just about everything when it comes to um, commercial shipping, uh, and they're tying in very much with the UN, um, the UN guidelines and, and uh, plans. And so I think once that is established, and the and the Ground rules are laid down. Then I think it will be up to local authorities in the states, in Europe, etc., to adopt them. And that—that's that, what normally happens in the commercial shipping world. Right. Um, so I think that will happen again. Um, and but, it presumably
2: but, it goes all the way back to you know the the boat builders as well and the shipbuilders that the materials when they use, the materials they use when they're first launching a boat, the materials that are used when refits are being done. I mean, yeah. anti-fouling, I believe, has to be done any, every year anyway, but, you know, if you look at the super yacht industry, a large proportion of super yachts will have a refit at the end of the season before they yeah. they go on. Yeah. So um, being brought in for refits and even at the first stage of building, this is going to be a really important issue that you want implemented in the early stages.
1: Indeed, and that's why we think having this discussion at METS, um, where there'll be a lot of boat builders present, a lot of naval architects, designers, etc., with the right kind of panel, with, with real acknowledged experts on, on this whole thing, um, is a good place to kick it off and to influence people. You, you, exactly, well,
2: and we're and doing it. out of interest, who are some of the people you have coming who, you know, know about this? To, to um, speak of just not specifically which people, but which um, organizations or groups maybe are invited in for the discussion.
1: Well, we, we've got two uh, coatings manufacturers that are very much involved in the coatings association globally um, and who will interact with IMO. So we'll have um, sustainability, sustainability director from ExoNoble, which is international paints, one of the big ones. Uh-huh and the regulatory affairs manager from Hempel. Um, And both of those guys have a very, very strong background. They both studied marine biology and toxicity of antifouling biocides and got their PhDs in those subjects. So, I mean, what, what I know is just scratching the surface compared to what these guys know. And that's why it's really important that we have them there for this discussion. But we would also have representatives from the other alternative, non-toxic anti-fouling methods. And this is not the, the thing we really, really want to avoid here. We don't want this to become a competition between different methods. Mm-hmm. We want it to be a, an adult discussion about the problem uh, and the number of solutions that can be put forward to solve it over, over the coming years. We don't want anybody saying, well, my system is better than yours, because they all work. hmm
2: well presumably they all have a certain amount because they they've been testing it and they've been using it they all have their own statistics of of the different methods of of what they've seen in their research in order Indeed. to bring it into being you were saying yeah, you
1: were, what is missing i think personally is a, a better overview of um, yeah let's say non biased uh, research, which which can be made available to the boat in public. Because at the end of the day, as you said earlier, Maeve, this, the, the, the reapplication of the anti-fouling is normally done by the owner or a big or a bigger yacht. It's decided by the captain, um, but most of us with small boats do it ourselves. And many of us get our information from the guy we stand next to at the yacht club bar drinking <laughs> beer, you know, which is maybe not the most scientific way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I think this has to lead to a much better overview, independently assessed, which gives that information to everybody, so they can make the best decision.
2: And and also, you know, if I mean, word of mouth is very powerful, but um, also presumably, if you can get these new methods of anti-fouling out there, so people are using them. And then the guy you talk to next to at the bar will be like, oh, well, you know, I've been trying this for the past two years, and it's great. You know, in in some ways you want the uptake. Um, Whichever method um, they take, it's still you want the uptake of people being aware of the alternatives, having information about the alternatives, and and making them uh, very accessible to people as well. You know, if if it's difficult to get it and you need two or three tubs of
0: it yeah, but it depends who you're um, talking to when you talk to one guy and he's saying oh yeah just spread rat poison around and kills them all uh, <laughs> you know and another guy will go oh no you need these little boxes to catch them live and put them out elsewhere so, and everybody will sing the praises of whatever they're doing it's um, true, true. without n- knowing so much about the toxicity or you know like for example the ultrasound that you're testing out on the boat um Maybe a great solution get rid of the uh, all your barnacles and what have you, but um, does it add to noise pollution? Um, which well, is that's a very good problem, point. You know,
1: yeah, that's one of the other things that's going to be discussed because there's a there's a whole new study that's going on into noise pollution, yeah. underwater noise pollution, and I think we discussed this before briefly. I mean, if if suddenly this takes off and you've got two hundred and fifty boats in the marina, and they've all got ultrasonic systems pinging these the these uh, low frequency sounds around underwater, then you know, it's, yeah. it's going to be quite a cacophony if you're a fish.
0: Yeah, if you're a dolphin, <laughs> get the hell out of there.
1: But it's not even a local... It's
0: a really It's not even a local problem because uh, we spoke with, I think it was Rob McCallum from EOS Expeditions, I think he was talking about it, where they set off, um, they were doing tests on, on sound pollution and they set off an explosion in the water, not a big one, um somewhere north of uh, Australia, and it could be heard in in the Arctic or oh, not the Arctic in the um, uh, Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. Uh, yeah noise travels incredibly well in water.
1: Anybody who's ever slept on a boat knows very well yes. uh, because norm- normally you're sleeping just around some sometimes below water level, depending on the the boat's built. And if something uh, happens on the other side of the marina, you, you feel like it's uh, coming right over your head. Yeah, you hear so, it. Uh, That's exactly what happens with the sound transmission through water.
0: Uh, Back is,
1: is also a good one about new construction because what, um, what I see clearly is a lot of the new methods, and a lot of them look quite exciting, will work much better if they're applied at the new build stage because they need a really clean hull. Um, in order to apply them and that's always much more difficult to do when the boat's been going for a few years and you've got several coats of antifam They'll be removed, etc. So that is a, a serious consideration as well. If you want to stick on, on um, a silicone impregnated almost like a wallpaper, which is one of the solutions Then you need a really clean hull to stick it onto, and that's much better at the new build stage than it is um, further down the line yeah. So, yeah, we could speak for a whole <coughs> hour about this, I can already tell, but <laughs> this, this is the background.
0: The subject for a new show.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> nicely done, Peter, nicely done. Um, so, you've got you got. Uh, in the boat, it? So, you got glow fouling, and what else have you got scheduled up for the Mets uh, sustainability?
1: Um, the second day, um, we're going to continue what we started last year. And last year, we did. Um, Thing called uh, "How Green Is Green" in the leisure marine world, and it was a really good session. Um, a lot of people got interested in it. it was A lot of follow up afterwards. Loads of questions. You know, are we are we really green? Are we as green as the aerospace and automotive industries, or are we just greenwashing? Kind of discussion. And, um, and looking at oh, greenness, as in, um,
2: from what perspective?
1: Carbon. Well, the from, from the way we construct and operate boats. So can we construct them from better materials? Can can we make the propulsion and energy systems more environmentally friendly? Of course we are. That's happening, as we all know. Mm -hmm. Design? Uh, Design is very, very important. Actually, what happens in the shipyard? Can the shipyard construct the yacht in a more environmentally friendly way with with less emissions, etc.? So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, like everything, it's a very wide subject. But we had some really good speakers last year, and they all readily agreed to come back this year and just so what we've titled it this year is how much greener are we a year on
2: ah that would be
1: interesting a lot happens in a year eh? yeah even in our boating industry a lot happens in a year
2: well you know one of the interesting developments um, I I had a a nice personal chat with um, Robert from uh, Blue Water Foundation um, oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we were talking about, you know, some of the shipbuilders. You know, there was a, and you probably know it, FedShip had a symposium back in the springtime. Mm-hmm. And the subject of uh, Yeti, which is a measurement system of the ecology of your boat, that they're kind of looking to see how they can put together. Um, you know, it, it in some ways... But do you it, get
0: a little Yeti sticker for the well, greener you I, are? Or? I,
2: I, my understanding of it is a little bit like how we're so used to our machines or our le- electricity light bulbs or, you know, when you look at the side of it, it has your grading from A down to E. So if you have a grade A ecology boat, not only are you showing your green, but you're going to be saving money as well because you're going to be, you know, if, you, if you've got the right antifouling or you've got a design that uses less fuel, um, you know, long term, not only is this good ecologically, but it will be saving the owner of the yacht money as well, because he won't be needing to put so much in fuel, or he'll be able to. You know, there's been some great innovations in the past year of heating from one part being put into the cooling system, new yeah. designs coming out, yeah. um, uh, new new ways of uh, developing, as you said, the propulsion systems. And that's only looking at the exterior. That's not looking at how they are redesigning the interior, what sort of materials they're using, alternatives in materials, particularly when when you look at the wood. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. Interiors is fascinating. And I, I've, I've been to a couple of these material district shows here in the Netherlands. Material district is an organization that just investigates sustainable materials from all over the world. And if you see... What's being made these days from uh, from palm tree husks, from pineapples, from e- even from cow dung, uh, from coffee grounds, from um, the whey from cheese? Wow, a whole load, of, a whole load of stuff that it, in the past has been waste material is now being used to make something which can be used in a construction or an interior lining or something. So. I, I found it absolutely fascinating I sat for a whole afternoon and listened to some of these experts and some of the, some of the stuff that was been wasted for centuries is now being actually used uh, in a full, in a full circular economy type of uh, setup.
2: Fantastic because I mean you know there there's been the debate about teak and certain woods you know that have traditionally been used yeah. and I think the challenge is finding alternatives that are as hard wearing and as have the same longevity as well yeah um, and but that are not cutting down masses of forests to achieve the you know the same effect
1: yeah yeah well, some of these fast growing um, like palm trees grow very fast and they absorb a lot of oxygen and you can use the out the outer covering of the palm tree um, without damaging the tree itself to to make a sustainable material, just as an example. So again, I'm not an expert, but I I listen to a lot of experts, and certainly there's a lot going on in that in that respect. Actually,
0: um, palm, palm tree is technically grass.
2: Well, I which mean, it's ever. similar. Just on a domestic level, you'd see a lot more bamboo coming in, which is a very fast-growing. Um,
1: yeah. But now we Absor- know absorbs how absorbs a lot of CO two. Yeah.
2: Um, but now at least we know how to you know put it together so that it's, I mean, everyone's probably got a bamboo chopping board now at home.
1: Yeah. yeah. I and there's Chinese there. companies that have been treating bamboo and making it suitable for various applications for a hundred years. So there's, again, that was something else that came up in one of these material district presentations I went to. It was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I must say, and, and very encouraging that, yeah it really makes you feel positive about the future when you see how much stuff can be used um, without damaging the environment and without going to waste any longer.
2: Yeah, and I think the waste is, um, I I just found a startling statistic of the tons and tons of, I bring this up because you mentioned coffee grounds, but the tons and tons of food waste that we you know, waste every year. And it's not, it's actually 55% of it in Europe and the Western world is domestic waste. Yeah. Um, If we could have an application of this massive amount of food that, you know, has taken energy to grow, to be transported, to, you know, get to our homes. um, If there was a way that we could transform some of that into something else, it would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's all encouraging. I must say, and uh, I, I really admire these people that that reach out and and find these substances and take the time and the trouble to turn them into something useful. I think these these are real pioneers in the world. We need more of them.
0: But it's, get, it's getting industry to adopt them. You
1: know, you, you this seem- is the, exactly. This is this is the, the difficulty. I agree, yeah. Dave. Yeah.
2: But I, can I just argue on that point? That's why I think it has been great to see, particularly over the past year. Um, almost every boat show I've looked at, you know, and particularly the big ones, like yourselves, like Metz, like Monaco. Sustainability has been one of the topics of discussion. There has been a yeah. conference and, and there are now a growing number of conferences throughout the year, even outside of the super yacht industry, very much focused on sustainability. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you you, do, you have that underbelly of those that resist it because it's inconvenient. So, for example, McDonald's decided to do away with plastic straws in where, I think, it's Europe or something like uh, that? In the States. In the States. They they've said, okay, no more plastic straws. We're going to go with this uh, paper alternative straw, whatever, which which works great. If you're having a Coca-Cola or Pepsi or whatever, McDonald's sells you as, an, uh, as a variation of Coca-Cola and Pepsi or Sprite or whatever. It's fine. But then... 30-plus thousand people sign a petition wanting the plastic straw back because their milkshake is not the same experience without the plastic straw. Seriously, your milkshake is not the same experience because Mm. of the plastic straw. And you'll you'll always get these people who will resist the positive change, even knowing it's a positive change, but their milkshake will not be the same. But um, that's
2: why you've just got to, the more normalized it is, um, you know, and the more that it's just not accessible. Europe
0: this year brought in
2: a worldwide ban on single
0: plastics following
2: France's lead.
0: But I think all those 30,000 people, their names should be put on the internet and they should be outed. Named
1: and, shame. Named <laughs> and shamed. Named and shamed. but The really encouraging thing is you see lots, you know, I'm a great believer in small steps mm. as long as they're going in the right direction. And we see loads and loads of those and actually the steps become larger and larger. Mm. And let's be honest, we're trying to reverse 70 years of industrial growth uh, since after the last war, driven by governments that are trying to outgrow each other driven by corporations that are trying to outgrow their profits and deliver more bottom line to their shareholders. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it's all been done, unfortunately, without enough due regard for the end results of what they're doing. But now you see that turning around. You do see corporations become more responsible for their future actions and for the end life of their products. And it's not all going to happen overnight because it took 70 years to get where we are. True. So, you know. I'm not going to say it's going to take 70 years to put it right again, but it's certainly not going to happen in uh, in, in seven months. Uh, I'm always encouraged by the fact that it is happening and it's happening quite widely in lots of places and lots of entrepreneurs are actually involved and are absolutely refusing to be beaten. And that gives me huge encouragement.
2: And I think as well, it's becoming a lot more mainstream. I'm, I say this I, for World Ocean Day last Saturday, I looked up a number, just see what was happening around the world. And then I started looking up at the number of organizations involved. And it's a huge number of, you know, from, from you know, smaller foundations in, in the UK to globally, you know, a, a big change. And even my kids would would notice, for example, Four Ocean, you know, which is started as two kind of surfer dudes in Bali who saw the amount of plastic. And now they've got a whole global thing going with, you know, recycling the the beach plastic into um, bracelets, which helps further it. But my seven-year-old knows about this. And my 15-year-old said, has anyone noticed on Instagram now, particularly in the past month or two, something about pollution is always coming up. Um, yep. and we have people like Greta Thunberg moving a whole younger generation to a yep. much bigger awareness to get things moving um she's oh
1: it's all, it's one all of my positive. favorites um, uh, if you try to track everything that's going on environmentally with people that are really passionately involved in doing something it's just impossible you can't follow it all it's happening absolutely everywhere so it's a kind of revolution in a way yeah. and uh, um, revolutions just grow and grow and grow, don't they? So yeah. cheers to that.
2: And you were in Croatia recently as well, Peter.
1: Yeah, I was, yes, uh, for the IFBSO, which is the International, I have to remember all these letters, International mm. Federation of um, Ocean Organisers.
2: Of Ocean um, Organisers.
1: Boat, boat Show. Oh, Boat organ- Show.
0: Sorry, ah. Boat Show Organizers. Well, they, they, yeah. they have a show for Boat Show people?
1: They have an organization, an umbrella organization. So 40 of the world's leading boat shows are members of IFBSO. And um, so they all get together. They swap They swap uh, information. Um, they get together at a Congress every year. And this the Congress is actually in combination with ICOMIA, who I mentioned earlier, so ICOMIA are responsible for the marine associations all around the world, and IFBSO are responsible for the boat shows. Uh, some ICOMIA members are also boat show organizers. For instance, HISWA in Holland uh-huh. is the Marine Industry Association, but they also run the Amsterdam boat show. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of uh, synergy between the two organizations. So they decided some years ago that they would they would run a joint congress. Last year it was in Berlin. This year it was in Croatia. Next year it's in China. Um, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that one.
2: Indeed. Uh, Although Croatia is beautiful China.
1: too. Oh, Croatia is in. Yeah. i've not been there for 20 years and this time just reminded me what a beautiful place for cruising is i can't wait to go and charter a boat there it's just it's out of this world
0: actually we should uh, put you in contact with a company in switzerland um that you can do boat swapping
1: sounds cool I'll, yeah
0: I'll, we'll, I'll follow that up later on that's um okay. yeah, it's a cool concept um, yeah
1: but I mean, just the, the string of islands all the way down the Dalmatian coast mm. there where you can just island hop and they've all got nice marinas on and everything. So, yeah, really nice. But the, the Congress was also very good. And um, uh, one of the things that was agreed upon was that ICOMIA and IFBSO would form a joint environmental committee. They, they have a super yacht committee, they have a coatings committee, they have a marinas committee, lots of different committees on. And working groups on different aspects of our industry but they will now form an environmental group which um i, I think they're inviting me to be part of so i'm really looking forward to that do, do, they, do
0: they discuss things like um uh distribution of plastic uh, water bottles at shows like do, do they take? Well, a,
1: one of the, <laughs> that was one of the key points in the workshop that i ran on friday okay. actually funny you should say that um and they're all keen to do it. Uh, in fact, we, I think we'll have one show that will set the pace maybe next year by going completely plastic-free. But it's it, it, as much as I want to see it done, I do acknowledge it's not easy.
0: No, because you need an alternative, especially because they're always in hot places. Uh, exactly. You need people to have access to water. Um, yep. But there are those organizations like... Um, Uh, clean wave well we had here clean
2: wave they had the and and i have to say a lot there was a big difference this year at the palmer show for example a lot of um stands now instead of having plastic water bottles had water filtration systems and were selling you know reusable bottles
1: Well, well i actually had the clean wave documentary to start off the workshop that i ran on friday because I saw Lena when I was over in Parliament with you guys uh, yeah. a month or so ago, um, so I bought forty of her um, reusable bottles, and so every every delegate got one of those, and we kicked off the workshop with the short version of a documentary, which is very powerful, be- mm. beautifully done,
2: beautifully filmed, isn't it?
1: Thomas mm. So uh, we use Clean Wave as an example at this right at the start of the workshop as to how it can be done, but I I have to say. Um, being slightly critical I mean I was impressed to see how well they did at this show I also spent some time with Maria Koch who you guys know Mm -hmm. well Water Without Waste Water water Without Waste which is great but then I walked around the corner to get a coffee and I thought well I'd like some water with it and it came in a plastic bottle (laughs) so you know from one of the vendors so I'm not being critical of Palmer's show because it's a great show and I know how difficult it is when you've got external vendors who rely on it for their profit um, to say sorry, guys, you can't come with plastic bottles. But you know, at or some stage, sell alternatives.
2: You know, there are you can get water in in um, uh, carton just now. Do you know of? of um, you can get
0: them in aluminium cans.
1: Guys, I, I, sorry, um, you're cracking up. I can't hear you very well.
0: Ah, that's old age. Sorry, that happens now and again for some reason with the the system. It should hopefully clear in a few seconds.
2: Can I just mention the other thing that I noticed? Um, it was great at Pamayacho. There were lots of recycling, yellow recycling bins. What was actually very difficult to find were just regular bins for regular waste.
0: That's right. Actually.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and it's a small thing, but you don't want to mix you know, regular waste in with plastics. And I was struggling to actually find just regular bins. I had to go to yeah. the. Anyway, small small things, yes. but actually um, it can make an impact on... Um, yeah, so focused on so, recycling.
1: Uh, so the, the outcome of the workshop, and we had 36 of the world's leading boat shows in one room, so that was a great opportunity. But the, um, the enthusiasm from them to actually do better mm-hmm. and to become more of an educational... Um, the sharp end of the business and an educational process to actually let people know more about what's going on well, what other uh, I mean, no, I mean, plastic bottles
0: to do it. so plastic bottles are, are the, the kind of obvious thing at, at boat shows um, well, what other uh, green footsteps can a boat show take to make it more sustainability conscious or um, considerate eradicating well, I, I, plastic bottles is one thing, but what
1: else is there? Yeah, well, they have to lead by example in, in mm. terms of that kind of thing, I think. I mean, there's no point in sending out an educational message if you contradict it with what you're doing on the ground. And they all they all totally agreed with that. But I think what we agreed at the end of it is that we would put together a kind of educational program. Because what one of the things I said to them is, I'm, you know, I've been to the Hiswath show, the Barcelona show, the Dusseldorf show, and what I see is huge areas where coach loads of kids come in and learn to sail in an optimist dinghy or a stand-up paddleboard or a kayak or whatever. So there's a lot of young people that are brought to these shows um, to attract them into water sports. And they all agreed with me that this is also an opportunity to, at the same time, uh, very subtly and without beating them over the head, Uh, educate them a little bit on okay if you want to enjoy the water that's fine but make sure you maintain it in good condition as well for the future and and these are the things you can do and these are the reasons why it's important so we're going to put together a little educational program which is hopefully not too heavy and not too um, prohibiting for them uh, so they can actually uh, use that within the show maybe you kind of knowledge dome type place where the kids can just wander through and find out more information with videos and posters etc um, because they they had last year they had two million visitors through those boat shows
2: wow that's a lot of people
1: I, I said at the workshop you know if every one of those people goes away with a good feeling and influences 10 of their friends and family then you reach 20 million. And if they reach 10, you've reached 200 million. This is our revolution to start. So mm-hmm. th- th- these guys have got a great opportunity and they, they really accept that. Um, so I'm hoping to see uh, some progress on that.
2: Well, and I think that, you know, that's a really big part of it is, is um, as I mentioned, Greta Thunberg or um, Clean Wave here also have education programs where they're now going around schools to schools. And, you know, we, it, this whole next generation are, are really, really important on, on implementing and changing the world, you know, because we can start now, but within 10 years, that generation are going to be part of the team that are making the changes.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think the,
2: yeah. the impact of, of starting young um, is
0: is huge. Uh, just, uh, yeah. just conscious of time here, we've, we've got to day two of METS uh, sustainability. What's... Uh, no, because we've got 12 minutes left to the top of the hour. And I'd hate us to run out of time. Um, what's what's day three but, of um, METS? Oh, I've been told to hold. Sorry.
2: Well, no, no. Sorry. It, it was just sort of... I, I, I kind of was thinking um, for, for the boat shows... Um, Looking at education, you've got a big (coughs) seminar um, coming up with METS. I presume a lot of other boat shows are similarly looking at having seminars as well, uh, similar to METS?
1: Yeah, some do it more than others. Uh, The Barcelona show, I noticed, has had a lot more seminar content the last couple of years. Um, There was... When I was at the Here's show back in March, there was a constant stage where people were up talking about all kinds of uh, issues. I think that's that's just the way boat shows have become. I mean, the days when they just put boats on stands and let people walk around them are over. They have to be much more of an event now yeah. with um, with seminars, with uh, learning opportunities, uh, all these kind of things, and fun. I mean, I yeah. think the great thing about the show which really stuck in my mind, is it was just a lot of fun, you know, people going around dancing, music, comedians, clowns. It's just a fun day out. And I think all boat shows are beginning to realise that that's, that's the way you do it. And, and by doing it that way, you can also engage people in a little bit of education without scaring them away.
2: Yeah, yeah
1: I, uh, I agree. And I think that's, that's the future.
0: And, and it's a rare opportunity where you get so many industry professionals in one place.
2: Well, and and also when you look at something like FLIBS, you know, which is slightly uh, different. um, If you compare Monaco to FLIBS, they're very, very different kind of shows. You know, Monaco is very much professionals. But FLIBS is a major day out. And the super yacht is is just one tent among them. But if you look at America, um, boating is huge, particularly along the East Coast from Florida up to you know, New yeah. England um, and all of this, you're reaching a huge amount of people who are, you know, Americans love if they have a boat, they love their boat and they love the accessories that go with the boat and they love, yeah. and it's really a, a big day out.
0: And they use them a lot more yep. as well.
2: The, yeah. They use them a lot
1: more yeah, they, because they, the weather's... I was going to say years. I think
2: they have more favourable
0: weather. <laughs> it's you it's know? weather and
1: access as well. <laughs> it makes a big difference. <clears throat> um, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. It's, um, so you know, for me, it was uh, it was a privilege to be asked um, to to organise this workshop and chair it, and I came away feeling quite motivated that we had some of the biggest boat shows in the world, very keen to to do more. And you know, at the end of the day, they're commercial organisations; they have to make money, they have to make sure their their exhibitors are happy with um, at the end of the show they've sold their products and. Uh, has to be their first consideration, but there's... Well, they've also got to
0: recognise their social uh, responsibility.
1: Yeah, indeed. And I think they do. I got got the impression very strongly. I mean, a lot came up to me afterwards and said, look, let's stay in touch, let's see what we can do. But I think the important thing is that we have to work with IFBSO now and Icomia to put together a package which has a kind of corporate identity, if you like, so they can all sing from the same song sheet, you know, and make it... uh, a a consistent message across the boat shows so that will be uh just a little exercise i've had to work on over the next few months not much else to do i
0: was going to say just uh, in in your quiet moments
2: (laughs) although uh, at least you have the uh the weather coming in you know because you are a a, you are a man who loves boating as well
1: yeah i'm off uh, next weekend for um Well, for a month. Uh, So hopefully the weather will be kind to me. Um, The the long-term forecast does look better. So uh, I'm I'm optimistic that we'll get some – finally we'll get some decent weather when we're away.
0: Well, you have to be optimistic in your line of business.
1: Otherwise, why do it? (laughs)
0: That's for sure.
2: Well, I mean, just – I I don't think it exactly – applies on a smaller scale but you know the there was um, about a month ago an article about how they're uh, at port of amsterdam and hamburg are joining together and looking at creating a new uh, cruising route for northern europe because you know there's so much beautiful um, beautiful land to see and to try and attract people from the usual kind of route around the med to say you know
0: come up north
1: um. Yep. why not? Yeah, super idea. We're on Scandinavia.
0: So, uh, day three of Mets, what's in store for that?
1: Well, day, day three is my, my old <clears> hobby <throat> horse, my thing I've been involved in most, I suppose, if I go back uh, since I came back from Mallorca six years ago, and that's uh, end of use boats. Ah, yes. Or end of end of life boats some people call it but we've tried to call it end of use because most of them never reach end of life as we've discussed before Uh um the grp hull it uh, lasts forever um and uh what we decided after the last show we had a little meeting and said are we going to do end of use boats again because we've been doing it since 2014 and um we said, well, we would do it if we have some deliverables, but we're not going to do it where we just talk about the problems again because everybody knows the problems. Yeah. So we uh, we adjourned and said, let's get together again in uh, February or March, which we did. And by then, I'd done a bit of research and spoken with people in various parts of the world, and discovered that we indeed have some fairly significant deliverables in various parts of the world, in the States, in Scandinavia, in France. Um, a lot is happening. So we've got no less than nine speakers confirmed at the moment
2: <laughs> Brilliant. for
1: the uh, for the end of use boats session. And we're we'll extending that this year. So we'll have a panel discussion for an hour, an hour and a half. And then we set a, an area aside immediately next to that. Well, we'll have a networking lunch, and everybody that has an interest in this can actually come and talk to other people, exchange business cards, and hopefully get some collaborative projects going forward. Fantastic! So, um, yeah, this is, this is again the, the
2: nine speakers coming in. Are these people involved in recycling fiberglass or in the projects for end-of-life boats?
1: Yeah, all all of them are involved in that in some way, but some are looking at the heritage fleet, in other words, the ones with millions and millions of boats that we still have to deal with. But we also have a couple of people that will be speaking specifically about how we avoid this problem in the future. For instance, we have the technical director from Benetau, who is spending 30 million a year on sustainability for their future products. So he's going to talk about what they're doing um, to, to make the whole Benetau product range more sustainable in the future. So
2: looking right uh, down to um, materials used in, in building boats as well.
1: Exactly. And the kind of propulsion they use and the changeability of parts so they don't get so much wasted and that kind of thing. So
0: is, is the one particular uh, um, thing, not wanting to single out anybody, you know, uh, particular, but is the one particular um, development in this area that particularly excites you? What gives you hope?
1: Yeah, well, there's lots. And the, the interesting thing is they're all going in a slightly different way. So, it's again, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. I mean, in the States, they're just doing a 20-tonne uh, fiberglass recycling. Well, it's not recycling. They're disposing of it through a cement kiln route. So, basically, it, it gets um, turned into dust. At a very high temperature, mm-hmm. in Italy they're doing it via pyrolysis, which is which uh, is a very high temperature system which separates out the fibres from the GRP in, a, mm-hmm. in an inert atmosphere. Um, in Norway they're doing it a slightly different way and breaking down the fibres into lots of different grades. In here in Holland they're upcycling, so they're turning um, taking strips of fiberglass and turning it into. Uh, a, a laminate material which you can use to line the banks of our canals, of which there's thousands of miles. Oh,
0: that's a good In
1: Italy, they're, they're taking a completely different approach, which they're working with one of the universities, where they combine it with polystyrene and turn it into a material very similar to corian, which you use on your kitchen top. Ooh. Okay, cool. So there's a whole bunch of different things going on. And in Italy, they're also working with the caravans and the railway carriages, which also have a lot of fiberglass in. So they can come up with a more uh, comprehensive view on on a much higher volume of fiberglass. But they're also looking at how you more efficiently and safely break the boat down. Because at the moment, if you if you go to a boat breakers yard, there's a lot of dust and muck and smell, and it's a pretty awful process but in italy they look how they can mechanize that use robots use lasers all kinds of things to make it more efficient and safer and then recycle the fiberglass at the end of it so i I know i'm rambling on a bit but all of this is going on
0: (laughs) and and as you say they're all taking slightly different paths which um, which is good i think
1: yeah and the key thing is where it's really being successful in france and in america and in norway Is because funding is provided, and in the states and in France, to some degree, that funding is coming from within our own industry, and I think that's really the key to the future.
0: Yeah,
1: I mean Beneteau and uh, Genoa and these big uh, manufacturers in France are actually paying an eco tax now into this um, recyclable network, so that when you take your boat at the end of life, it gets disposed of and it's paid for. You don't have to pay for it yourself. So.
2: Which will incentivize people to, you know, continue the cycle.
1: Exactly, rather than dump it somewhere, which is is what's been happening, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, indeed. Um, Well, thank you so much, Peter. It was so lovely to get an update with you.
0: That's the shortest hour I've ever
2: had. (laughs) It did really fly by got another couple of questions. No, No, you never do. You're a font of information. And uh, it's (laughs) lovely to pick your brain, as the proverbial saying goes. Um, But lovely to hear what's happening. And, and, you know, hear what's happening on boat shows. Mets have been very strong on your sustainability. And, you know, you have a blog that has interesting stuff coming up all the time on the, the website. But it's great to hear that this is a strong feeling throughout the forty major boat shows around the world. Yeah. I think that's great news. I'm
0: looking forward to Mats
1: yeah, year. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so am. I. Yeah. So we'll we'll see you guys there. Absolutely. And, uh, it's always good to talk with you as well because you, you always have a few nuggets of information that I'm I uh, wasn't aware of. So it's uh, it's a good exchange of, of views. I think we,
0: I think we learned more today than than we gave away. <laughs> um, Peter, we, we're going to we're going to talk between now and Metz uh, for sure. Um, yeah. So, well, thank you very much that's uh that's peter franklin really good chat who's
2: the environmental sustainability organizer for Mettrade. trade thank you so much
1: we'll time for the news thanks yeah, peter a good day, guys. you too bye bye